Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 55 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known to all of us by now as just DCU. Take advantage of historically low mortgage rates with DCU. Now, through the end of June, DCU will cover up to $3,000 in closing costs when you refinance your mortgage. Let me say that again. They will cover up to $3,000 in closing costs. Learn more at dcu.org slash mortgage. DCU is an equal housing lender insured by the NCUA, NMLS number 466914. Membership required. That's dcu.org slash mortgage. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Jumptown Skydiving. After everything we've been through for the last year and a half, why not blow off a little steam? You know skydiving's always been on your bucket list, so why not go to America's oldest skydiving drop zone? Conveniently located from almost anywhere in Orange, Massachusetts, right off of Route 2. Jumptown is open seven days a week. And for people that work in the service industry, it's hard for you to get time off on the weekends. That's why Jumptown offers service industry discounts on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. $185 tandem jumps from 13,500 feet up. So why not put a group together of everybody you work with and go jump out of a plane? And if you're the group leader, you get $10 off your jump for every person you bring with you. Bring 10 people and you skydive for free. For more information, log on to jumptown.com or call 978-544-5321 to make your reservation. Okay, I have been waiting for this episode of the podcast for a really long time. I met Taylor Momsen from The Pretty Reckless years ago when she came up and played acoustic on my show. And we had a great conversation. Then I went and saw the band live and was blown away. Over the last few years, Taylor Momsen has been pretty candid about everything that she's gone through. And most recently, she has poured all of that into their latest album, Death by Rock and Roll. I knew at some point Taylor and I were going to get caught up and be able to talk. And I have been waiting for her to come on the podcast. As always, she was genuine and open, forthcoming, and really candid, not only about everything that she's been through, but about what her vision is for the future. She is as passionate about rock and roll as anyone I have ever met. And I am so excited for you to hear this interview. So allow me to introduce you to Taylor Momsen from The Pretty Reckless. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. The hardest woman to get a hold of in rock and roll right now because you are so busy, Taylor Momsen from The Pretty Reckless. Thank you for coming and hanging out with me today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I feel like every time I turn around, I'm reading something about you. You have just been working it. We kind of, yeah, we really stopped. It's, it's it's very strange to put out music and not tour on it, but I've 
I keep joking. I'm like, I never knew I could be so busy and not leave my house. <laughs> uh, you and me both. Welcome to MCHQ. I had to build my own studio because of the lockdown when WAF went off the air last year. So I leave the house very infrequently and it's very strange. It's very bizarre. It's weird times we're living in, but it, the studio looks awesome, by the way. Thank you. Um, it's it the cleanest really cool. studio I've ever worked in. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, the benefits of doing it yourself. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a weird time right now, but I mean, it's good. You know, things are starting to open up and, you know, the world's starting to get back on track, I think. So, it's, you know, I'm hopeful. I haven't uh, seen you in a bit. You came in and played acoustic on my radio show at WAF years ago, and you and I talked a lot about the difficulties in being taken seriously, not only as a woman in rock and roll, and this was years ago we had this conversation, but also coming out of a different side of the entertainment business. Do you feel like this album has finally put the last nail in that coffin where you're more known now as a rock star than you were for anything else you've done? I don't know if I consider myself a rock star. You but, are, um... Taylor. <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah, I think that the time has kind of, I mean, it still comes up like my past acting career and stuff, and especially around Christmas with the Grinch. But, um, you know, it's more, but it's more so that people like are discovering that I was in the Grinch and stuff because they know the band. It's not the other way around. So I think that it's certainly the tides have kind of shifted the other direction. So that's a, that's a good place to be in. Talk to me about the decision to release the record in the middle of a pandemic, because I've been talking to a lot of bands and there's all of the different schools of thought, hold on to it, wait until you can tour on it, release a song here or there. You guys just dove in and said, fuck it. We're releasing the record. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we, it was a, it was a long conversation. I mean, we finished the record before COVID started. Um, and we luckily shot the album cover in back in March, right before, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, right before lockdown started. So we thankfully got the, the album artwork done, um, just in the nick of time. And I came back up to new England to start rehearsing. Cause we had this, we had amazing touring planned. It was like, you know, Foo Fighters and Guns N' Roses and, you know, Pearl Jam, like all the festivals. It was, it was looking really great. It was going to be everything. so awesome. The world was, was going to be, be so, so awesome. awesome. I know it was, it was, some of the best touring of our career lined up and then, you know, everything shut down obviously. Um, and so we kind of, we waited for a while and just waiting and waiting. And we finally made the decision to put out the first single, you know, the title track death by rock and roll, because I just like, you know, people need music right now. People need something to, you know, motivate them and, you know, feel alive and, and, you know, rock and roll does that for me. So like, why would I hold on to that? So we started with one song and kind of saw how, you know, testing the waters, kind of seeing what that was going to do. And it did immensely well. <laughs> it did great. And it turns out I was right. People did need that kind of catharsis. And so we kind of held on to the record a little longer and a little longer. And I finally got to the point where, you know, we have a song on the album called 25. I wrote that when I was 24 turning 25 and recorded it right after my birthday. And I was now, you know, I'm now 27. <laughs> and I was like, you know, we gotta, we can't, when am I put this out when I'm 30? Like we gotta, we gotta just, we gotta, you know, get it out there and, you know, let the music kind of sit and settle with people. And, you know, I think the longer people have time to sit with the music, the more they're going to understand it anyway. So uh, that was kind of, that was kind of the thought process was like, you know, let's just, you know, close our eyes and jump and, you know, hopefully people will respond to it. You talk about the, the artwork for the record, you took a lot of pictures on a motorcycle, Taylor. Please tell me that you got your motorcycle license and you're riding that damn thing. <laughs> I don't have my motorcycle license. My sister actually just bought a bike. Um, I don't have a license. I can't drive. So I lived in New York my whole life. You still um, don't have a uh, you still don't have a driver's license? I still don't have a driver's license. No. So that's something I'm working on now because <laughs> it's, it's getting a little ridiculous at this point. Um, so that's, yeah, but once, you know, bikes, you know, my dad rides Harleys, my sister's now riding, like I've been around bikes my whole life. And you know, that photo shoot was, was an homage to Cato, um, you know, even down to the last detail of, you know, it's almost kind of, it's kind of overdone and almost eighties rock, which is not my thing at all. Like I'm not a big eighties rock fan. Um, you know, there's some good stuff, but it's not, it's not really my thing, but it was the Cato loved that stuff. So it was, that was kind of, a, it was an homage to him. Um, and you know, he passed on a motorcycle. So that was, that's kind of where the inspiration for that came from. As somebody that, that does ride and that has survived a motorcycle accident, knowing 
the loss that you've suffered by losing him, um, it, it it's a really scary thing. And it's affected me getting back on my bike. I still ride, but it definitely makes riding a totally different thing. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you're suddenly aware of what could happen. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, that was, a, a you know, I don't want to get all heavy here, but it was a, it, it still is as a devastating loss that came at a complete, you know, it's complete utter shock. And, um, you know, I'm still not over it. You know, this whole record is, is very much an homage and, you know, it's dedicated to him and, you know, we did our best to kind of keep his memory alive. I was gonna, I was, I'm bringing up the, the motorcycle riding thing because you spend a lot of time in new England, which I love and was kind of surprised by when you came into the studio and did my show years ago and this isn't exactly the best place to learn how to drive, Taylor. No, it's not. <laughs> but I mean, it's better than New York, though. That's true. That's so true. You got to, you know, I, just, I got a place in New York and I got a place here. So if you take your pick. It's, you know, at least there's some, you know, back roads here. <laughs> what is it about New England that that gives you that peace of mind where you want to spend so much time there? What is it about this region of the country? Because when you grow up here, it's home, but you didn't grow up here and yet you've made a home here. Well, I love New England for a lot of reasons, but I, first of all, I love the juxtaposition. I love New York. Like New York's always going to be my home, but you know, I love the juxtaposition because sometimes you need to just get out of the city and you need to kind of be isolated. And, you know, especially during COVID and stuff, especially well, writing and things like I need, I need solace and I need, you know, privacy and, and to be alone. And I, th- and I love that you can kind of, hide in new england and but at the same time you can go out and you know and it's beautiful and i love england too like i've thought about moving to england many times and you know but before i you know get my visa or whatever you know start with new england and uh and just i've spent so much time up here over the past like 10 years because the band you know is from up here so uh it's i've started you know when we rehearse up here so i started staying in hotels and stuff that were crashing on their couches and I was just spending so much time up here and I loved it that I was like, well, you know, I might as well get a place at this point. <laughs> like I'm up here half the time anyway. So uh, that's kind of how it happened. And, and I love it. It's, it's beautiful. I love the wildlife. I love the nature. Um, I love the kind of horror aspect of it. Like I actually really enjoy the winters too. Um, summer's obviously beautiful, but you know, Stephen, Stephen King's, King's information. Kind of my thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, I, I love that kind of isolated feeling, I guess. Um, I wanted to talk to you. One of the things I love about having this podcast that is different from being on the radio is that we can really get in depth about a lot of the process behind the art, which I never had time to do when you're on the radio only. And one oh, of the yeah, things, so, so quick. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, oh, we got to get into commercials and there's 10,000 people around. And I love, I'm such a huge fan of music and the people who create it because I literally played the clarinet in the marching band and that is the extent of my musical ability and and I use That's that awesome. and I use that term loosely because I really don't have any and I'm really interested and I've been asking a lot of different artists this can you take me through your actual writing process because you talk about how you needed to be quiet in New England so does someone bring you a riff do you write music do you work on the lyrics first like can you talk to me maybe pick a song off of death by rock and roll and kind of talk to me about the evolution and the process of it yeah well i get asked this a lot and it's kind of a hard question to answer because there is no process and that's kind of what makes writing so torturous but also so rewarding you know there is no I wish there was, you know, there is no formula to, to how we do it. Um, the only kind of consistent thing is Ben and I write the songs together. Um, it has to start with an idea and it ha- that idea has to be inspired. And that's, that's really kind of the only consistent thing. Um, you know, sometimes it starts with the riff, sometimes it starts with the lyrics, sometimes it starts with the melody, sometimes it, the whole thing comes at once. Sometimes it's, you sit with one little piece of it for a really long time and, you know, that turns into something over the course of months or years or, you know, it, it, it depends. So like everything is done so differently that there is no direct answer. Um, I know the thing that you're always searching for is you're always searching for inspiration. And that's something that I'm always, you know, constantly seeking. Um, and it's, and I say it's torturous because you don't know if, you know, where inspiration is going to come from um, and you don't know if it's going to come. And that can be a very, 
you know, scary thing. Like, you know, you might, you finish one song and you go, oh, that's great. And then now you're left empty again and you're going, shit, I have to do that again. <laughs> like, okay, we're now what? Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of been the consistent thing throughout our albums. This album, Death by Rock and Roll, I've been kind of saying, just kind of reflecting on it now that, you know, it's, we finished it a while ago, um, was different in the sense that, you know, we went through so much loss and so much trauma, you know, very quickly. Uh, and I sunk really far down into like, you know, into a hole of depression and substance abuse and, you know, everything that comes to loss and grief. And I didn't really know how to get out of it. And I didn't know if I wanted to. And I kind of, I kind of just gave up on life. If I'm being honest, like I kind of just went, I don't, I don't see the point in this anymore. Like everything I love is dead. What's the point? Um, and I got, and I find to make a very long story short, I finally got to the place where I was, I needed music. Like it's music is the thing that I've always turned to that kind of, you know, brings me, brings me hope and brings me, I don't know, brings me back to life. And, you know, I, I kind of shut myself off from, from music for a long time. And I finally got to a place where I was, I was craving it. Like I need it like the same way I need food and water and oxygen. Um, so I started kind of at the beginning just by, you know, listening to the bands that I fell in love with when I was younger. And I kind of started examining my life and, and questioning and going, you know, what made you fall in love with this? You know? And so I started with the Beatles. I started with the, you know, the first band I fell in love with and, and listened to every, you know, Beatles record and the anthology and watching, you know, interviews and, and live recordings and, you know, anything I could kind of get my hands on. And from that, it kind of, you know, led down the rabbit hole of, of, you know, the bands and the the story and the way, you know, the way I learned music from Led Zeppelin to The Who to Pink Floyd to ACDC to, um, you know, finally getting around to being able to listen to Soundgarden again and and have it bring me joy and not, you know, sorrow. Um, and that led to me picking up a guitar again and just playing songs for for the pleasure of it. And in that, as soon as I started to do that, that kind of opened the floodgates of me starting to write and the way I say it's different is because I didn't, you know, like I said, you normally are searching for inspiration. In this case, as soon as I kind of let myself go there and, and stopped repressing everything I was feeling, um, the floodgates opened and these songs just kind of poured out of me. Like I didn't, I didn't have to try to write this album. It kind of wrote itself. It was like the universe had smacked me in the face with the brick and was like, here, Taylor, you, you wanted something to write about. I gave it to you. So stop being an asshole and like open up <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of how this album was written it was kind of almost a stream of consciousness of just everything that I'd been holding inside it's amazing how much it comes out in these interviews that I've been doing how much of it goes back to the Beatles and if there's anybody listening to my podcast that hates the Beatles you're just another example about how wrong a person that thinks that is because I am a huge Beatles fan and that's where music and my love of it came from as well. And so hearing you say that, just thank you for being on my Beatles well, side. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know how you can't love the Beatles. Like, you know, I have friends who don't love the Beatles and I'm like, why are you, why am I friends with you? <laughs> um, <laughs> because they, they did, I mean, they did everything. Like they did, like they, they covered every genre they covered in such a short amount of time. And so quickly they're so prolific and just, you know, there's never going to be another group like them. Um, it's, it's just, it's mind blowing. <laughs> you know, those records are phenomenal. You talk about Soundgarden and this is also something that's come up on the podcast a lot and it's, it's a realization that I had during the lockdown when I really started doing these long, in-depth interviews for the podcast. Chris Cornell, his music, uh, such a fan for myself, and he came in on my show many times and w was just the most amazing guy, genuine, sweet, selfless, creative, uh, any word you can use to describe him. And what I realized over the last 16 months is that, first of all, nobody can ever say that you weren't aware of any struggle because he, like you, just took everything and put it in the music. It's all there in the lyrics. Everything that mm -hmm. he went through, it's all there. And the realization that I came to, and I couldn't wait to ask you this question because I know what this record means to you and what you put into it. Chris Cornell and any artist that writes about personal things pours all of that into this art that mm -hmm. you that you then release to the world as a tangible 
product to be consumed, which on one hand, you're giving us this gift of the feelings and of, you know, being able to associate our own feelings with your music. But on the other hand, you're taking what you hold most dear and precious and what makes you raw and vulnerable and you're giving it to the world as a commodity. Mm -hmm. And that is a really strange exchange. And I never really thought about it until, like I said, the last 16 months or so. And then on top of that, you have this cathartic experience of purging these feelings into something. And then you have to relive what inspired it every night on stage playing those songs. And that's got to be hard. Yeah, I think you kind of touched on a lot of things. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to start here. I think that, you know, I make music for myself. I write songs for me because I need to. It's it's my identity. It's who I am. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with myself if I didn't. And I think that's why when I shut music out of my life for a while there, I, I became very, very lost. Um, and I, you know, and, and when I found it again, I started to feel full again, I guess. Um, and so it's, it is, it's a very bizarre thing making a record because, you know, as soon as you finish writing a song and you take a step back from it and it's a good song, I mean, you write a lot of bad songs in between when you write something that's good, you then want to go make it, you want to go record it. Um, and then once it's recorded and it's finished and it's good, you want to share it. Um, you know, it's kind of just the natural progression of things. You want people to hear it. Um, but it is a strange thing to put, you know, music out into the world, especially when it's so, you know, personal that, you're kind of giving a piece of yourself away in a sense. Um, and it can sometimes leave you with this very weird feeling. Like, you know, when you put out the record, it's very exciting, you know, and, and, and all of the, and, and all the positive sides of things, but it, you know, it, it also leaves you kind of empty because it's suddenly like you spent so much time slaving over this, you know, these songs and this album and, and, and everything that, you know, goes along with that. And as soon as you've released it into the world, it doesn't belong to you anymore. You know, it's, it, I always say it's kind of like a child. I mean, I don't have kids, but I assume that that's kind of the same feeling of like sending a kid off to college or something and going like, well, I hope I raised you well, like, see you later. And so it's kind of like giving a piece of yourself away because it's not yours anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to the world and the listeners. Um, and so that's kind of always a strange feeling because you're left kind of empty and you have to figure out how to fill up that, that hole because you just gave a a whole piece of yourself away and it's like okay well who am I now and so it's it's it comes with a lot of you know self-reflection and discovery of yourself um, every time you do that and I think with this album in particular I didn't I didn't really think that playing the songs live is 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 actually not sometimes you know songs hit hard and, and you kind of sometimes you can break down or you know it kind of depends on the day but when you're when you're touring you're you're on stage and you're performing and you're you're in a different mindset you're not you know you're not necessarily reliving the songs uh that deeply i mean you, you feel them but you're not you're not living that same life at that moment you know so you know you're entertaining you're you're performing it's it's a different mindset but I didn't really think through, I didn't really think through the interview process of this album of how reliving it and talking about it and talking about the losses and the tragedy. And because there's no way to speak about this album without going there. Um, I didn't really think how that was going to affect me. And I think after doing so many interviews consistently, like, you know, six hours a day, every day when the album came out for you know months it started to kind of wear on me where it was like, I can't talk about this anymore. Cause I'm, you know, I'm starting to, it's starting to come back to me and like break down and I'm trying to move forward. And so I think that I didn't really think that part through all the way. <laughs> um, well, I but, apologize you know, for bringing it up, but I, no, no, no. It's there's no way to talk about this record without speaking about those things. So it's, you know, that was, that was my, I, I made my bet. I got a lie in it, but, um, but I didn't really think that far ahead, uh, I guess. So, you know, it's, it's something that you just, it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's when you pour yourself into something and you said it and put it out as a commodity, you know, I still never really view it as a commodity, but I, you know, I guess you're right. It is, um, you know, I still look at it like, you know, I hope this connects with people and I hope that they, that it can, you know, help them or, or, you know, invigorate them or, you know, whatever music does to you. Like, I hope it does. I hope it does all those things for you the same way, you know, all the records that I listen to do that for me. 
So that's really what I, that's that's what I try to focus on, I guess, is, you know, like, hopefully this is, this is helping people and, and making them feel something. And because, you know, music is such a powerful language. It's such a universal language. It's, it's, it's something that everyone can speak and everyone can understand, um, you know, even if you don't speak the language. And I think that's, you know, that's such a beautiful thing. It, it is this strange thing to go through the process of grief and then have the world be completely submerged in grief simultaneously i mean oh yeah the world has had to deal with things and people not being able to commemorate loss and and have funerals and visit people in the hospital and one of the things that i give you so much respect for is being so willing to be open and honest about the struggles you had with depression addiction as you were processing these immense losses that you're talking about was there ever any hesitation about keeping some of that back and not talking about it or did that help you in your process I think it was probably a combination I think in one way speaking about it you know it's talking about Cato and talking about Chris and and everything it 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 became you know I'm keeping I'm keeping Cato's memory alive by saying his name every day, you know, and by, by acknowledging his, you know, everything he brought to this world. Um, so I think that that's in one way, you know, very powerful and was very healing, but, you know, certain days, certain question can strike you the wrong way. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a fine line between, you know, healing and I'm about to break down again. So I think that that's, you know, I, I ride that fine line kind of consistently. Um, and there's, you know, there's some things that I, I don't share with the public. Like I'm not telling the entire story, but I'm giving you enough, of, enough information so that you can understand this album. Can you talk to me about what your fans support and the support of the rock community, even though things have been so crazy the last year and a half? Can you talk about your relationship with your fans and what that relationship means to you? Well, the fans are just incredible. I mean, we went away for, you know, we, we, we left for, for a while. I mean, we haven't played a show since December of 2017. Um, and so, you know, when you leave the public eye or whatever for that long, you know, you never know what to expect when you come back. And when we put out the first song, Death by Rock and Roll, they were right there. And, you know, <laughs> they didn't go anywhere. And to see that kind of loyalty and that kind of respect, or, or I don't know if respect's the right word, but that kind of loyalty and, and love for, for the music that we make is just, a, is just such an amazing feeling, um, you know, and we couldn't do this without them. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to have the career we have if, we didn't, if they didn't like it. So it's a very rewarding feeling to know that um, they always have our backs, I guess, you know, like we can, we can take time off and, and be people and be human and, you know, go through grief and in our own time. And then when we come back, they're right there waiting. And that's just, that's, that's so amazing. And so supportive and, you know, to have that kind of support system that, you know, travels around, it's around the globe. It's not just in America, it's everywhere, um, is incredible and, and kind of mind blowing if you actually think about it. There's so many people over the years. I mean, God, I remember people saying this in like 99, that rock is dead and all of that nonsense. And any true rocker knows that that's not the case at all. But one of the things that I have witnessed over the last 16 months as the world has been turned upside down is that the rock community seems more and more to be this example, this shining example of of representation, inclusion, the land of misfit toys where everybody's weird and everybody belongs. Do you feel that way? In rock and roll? Yeah, just just all of us as a community that we're kind of like showing the rest of the world how to do it right. <laughs> well, I yeah, I mean, I think that that's, rock and roll is all, first of all, you have to remember, rock and roll has always been on the outskirts. Like rock and roll is not, it's not pop. Like pop is, pop is, has always been in the mainstream and rock and roll has always been kind of underground and, you know, it has its moments in the light and it has, you know, if you, it's almost cyclical if you look at it through time, like, you know, the fifties is very pop and single bass and, you know, sixties came in and sixties and seventies with kind of a rock and roll renaissance of all these bands and artists that, you know, really had something to say and it kind of wiped out pop. Then the eighties happened and rock and roll kind of formulaically went into the kind of trying to, 
trying to be more, you know, it's more about the image than the, than the music. And it kind of went into more of a crafted uh, kind of songwriting and, you know, more pop, I guess, you know, still electric guitars, but it's, it's they're pop songs. And then the nineties came in and kind of wiped everything out again with the, with the, the whole Seattle scene and everything, you know, just, they came in and they were, they had something so important to say and that you, it was undeniable. Um, and it, it took over. <laughs> and then the two thousands came in and pop came in again and, and we're kind of still living, I think in the two thousands. So now, and I think that, you know, we're just waiting for the next rock and roll Renaissance. And I certainly hope to be a part of it. Um, but rock can never die. That's the, that's the cool thing about it is it's so organic and it's about, it's about the music and it's about a person having something to say that affects everyone. And I think that that is, that's what it's always supposed to be. And so, you know, saying it's dead, it's like, no, it's just underground. You're just not looking hard enough yet. And that's, you know, that's always been like that. There's a certain part of rock and roll you want to be in the underbelly too. You know, we kind of like to be in the dark corners. Of course. Yeah. I mean, because rock and roll delves into subject matter that pop wouldn't dare do. You know, it's, it, it deals with the, the dark side of life. It deals with, it deals with the positive side of life too, but it, it delves into subject matter that you just, you don't hear in pop songs. It's not just all sunshine and rainbows. And sometimes that can be a little too much for people, you know? So I think that that's, but that's where rock and roll thrives. It, you know, it thrives in the grit and it thrives in the, the pain and the suffering and the everything that it means to be human. One of the things that is a benefit for somebody like me that has been in the business for so long is, as, especially as a woman, that I've seen things really change. I mean, I remember in the early days of my career, if you played one female fronted rock band it was like you met this quota and then you didn't need another one like I was the only female DJ on the air and it was like okay we got one we don't have to worry about it yeah the token girl yeah the token chick yeah it's like okay we got one you know and now I'm looking at the amazing not just amount but quality of the art the amazing music that rock music, true rock music that's coming out of women right now. And for me, it's like, I've been waiting for this, right? Yeah. But you are, you are part of this whole movement of it. It's, it's like, God, I've been sitting around waiting for this fucking train and it finally showed up. And it's thank God that not only <laughs> that it showed up, but that it's good. Yeah, it's it's a cool it's a cool time to be alive. I mean, you know, obviously the you know, the world went to hell and back, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. But as it, you know, having said that, if you think about it though, from I'm talking about COVID now, but if you think about that, you know, it's actually you know 20 years from now, like we're living in in a in a movement right now, and you know, the world is 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 changing, and it's very cool to be a part of it. Like it's almost like the 60s. It's like I said, it's a renaissance happening, and we're it's sometimes hard to see when you're in it. But 20 years from now, like you're gonna look back on that and go, yeah, I was a part of that, and it's gonna be you know the kids 20 years from now are gonna be like, I wish I lived in 2020 because that you know that was that was because I used to say I wish I lived in the 60s when you know change was happening, and change is happening now, and I think it's it's a very cool time to be alive, and it's a very cool time to be making music and putting it out and and writing about it. And this album in particular, like, it's kind of crazy, like, looking back on it now and, like, looking at some of the lyrics. This whole record was written before COVID ever happened. And, and there's some lines on the on some lyrics on the songs that I'm like, I, it fits perfectly with what's happening right now. Like, where it's almost verbatim and you'd think I wrote it yesterday. <laughs> it's very, it's very strange. It's like, you know, does life imitate art or does art imitate life? It's kind of, you know, the, what came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> You had to make a really difficult decision, not only in actually releasing the album in the middle of a global pandemic, but bands, you know, now are making that gambling decision of, do I tour or do I not tour? And you guys just made the decision of, we're just not touring this year. Do you regret yeah. making these decisions or, you know, is it because you've got big, huge plans for next year? I mean, how are you feeling about having to make that decision in such uncertainty in the business? Well, it's something we, we struggled over making that decision. You know, we, it wasn't an easy decision to make because obviously we want to get back out on the road and we want to play these songs live and, you know, sitting on it longer, you know, feels very strange, but, you know, it kind of came down to, I don't really know what the world's, you know, the world's still in the process of, of turning right now. Like it's not a hundred percent what's going to happen yet. And, and aside from that, you know, I said it before earlier, but we haven't played a show since December of 2017. 
So, you know, and we just now are able to get back in the rehearsal space and like see each other. So I really wanted to take the time um, to really make this great and become a band again. Like we haven't played together in so long that it, I really wanted to, you know, build this from the ground up again. So when we actually come out, we're, we're better than we were before. Like we're a new band, um, it's the same band, but a new band because this, this record really feels like a rebirth. And I wanted to, you know, take the time to make the live show and the, you know, the, the touring experience, you know, for the fans and for us really something, a rebirth for that as well. And so that's kind of, that's really what kind of came, how I made the decision of, you know, I want to be in a rehearsal space for six months, nine months, you know, like really kind of organically building this up again. Um, and we just started rehearsing and it's a blast, you know, it's so much fun. And so by the time we go out, we're, we're on fire. The longer you do this, I think, you know, when anybody starts a rock band, when they're young, they just want to go out and do their thing. And rock, unlike a lot of other music genres, especially pop, like you were talking about, there is a loyalty from the audience and a longevity of career that is possible. Yeah. And in order for that to be possible, you got to be able to pull it off. So are you cognizant of that now and doing things to protect your health, your voice, because you want to be able to do this for a really long time? Because every, oh. every like older artist that I talk to is like, God, I wish I had taken ca- better care of my back. I wish I stopped smoking 20 years ago. I wish I ate better. Like, are you really making sure that, that you're going to be able to maintain that high level? And what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, you know, health is the number one priority. I mean, I'm, I mean, this pandemic was kind of my worst nightmare. I'm, I'm kind of a hypochondriac. Like before, you know, before COVID was ever a thing, like I, I fly with a mask and gloves. Like I, I don't like to shake people's hands. I do the fist bump or the elbow bump thing. Like getting sick on tour is, is simply the, it's the worst because even if you recover, you're never 100% again, just because you're not, you don't get enough sleep. You're going from country to country, state to state. Um, and you're just, you're never, you're never hundred percent again until you stop that touring cycle and, you know, rebuild again. And so I do everything in my power to, you know, to not get sick. And so that's something that, you know, I still, I do at home as well. So, um, you know, just you try to eat healthy, you try to, you know, drink a lot of water and take vitamins and, you know, work out and just try to, you know, maintain your physical health as much as possible. Um, and that's, you know, something that I certainly don't take for granted and I don't take lightly. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's something that's certainly, is certainly important because like you said, you want to be able to do this, you know, forever. And I, I've mentioned, mentioned, because you know, we're not touring to 2022, but having said that 2022 is also, it's almost fully booked at this point. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to, it's looking like it's going to be really great. You, you better know? be so. rested <laughs> and hydrated because you're getting to work. Oh yeah, no, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be like, once we're off in 2022, it's going to be 2022 to 2023. Like, so, you know, once we start the cycle, it's uh, touring, it's, 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 uh, you know, years. <laughs> so that's, cause that's the thing with touring cycles. It's not like you just go out for a quick little run. Like once you start, you're out. So, um, I really want to take the time ahead of time to make sure that we're all prepared for that. Um, and in a, in a, in a really great way, better than before. Talk about longevity of career for you growing up a fan to work on a song like only love can save me now with Matt Cameron and Kim Thale and the video, by the way, you looked cold all the time being soaking wet, which was probably freaking (laughs) hours. Can you just talk to me about the process of working with, with those guys, not only on a friendship level, but go back to just being a fan when you were a teenager and now you're recording with these guys. Yeah, it was, I mean, incredible and completely surreal. And, you know, if you had asked me 10 years ago, like if I talked to my younger self and was like, you're going to be playing, you know, Matt, Cameron, Kim Thaler are going to be playing a song you wrote. I would have told myself, shut up. You're like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so it's very surreal and very, uh, just amazing. I mean, like, you know, for well, I, obviously I'm such a fan. Um, you know, they're two of my favorite musicians of all time, but so, you know, aside, but aside from that, like I, you know, I really got to know them and they're such great people and they're such dear friends of mine at this point that it, it was such an organic collaboration that came about. Um, you know, it came from, I, I wrote this song and I was in a very kind of very dark place at the time. 
and uh, I demoed it. <laughs> when I finished demoing it, I, I, I kind of turned Ben and I kind of turned to each other and we're like, this has kind of a Soundgarden-esque feel to it. And so I called Pat and I sent him the demo and I said, will you listen to this? And would you guys be interested in playing on this? Because if you don't, we're just going to sound like we're ripping you off. <laughs> uh, but I really love the song. And, you know, they thankfully said yes. And it was just such an incredible, such an incredible experience. I mean, we, we, we recorded it in Seattle. We flew to Seattle. We recorded it at London Bridge Studios, which is, you know, where Soundgarden recorded Louder Than Love and Pearl Jam made 10 and Alice in Chains made Dirt. And just a know, little history and, in the walls, just a little. Yeah, so much. And like, and I'm a firm believer that places are kind of like people, you know, they hold memories and, and energy and and their walls. Um, that's why I love studios so much. Cause you know, you can kind of, you can feel the history as soon as you walk into the building. Um, and so to be there and to not only be there, but to be there with Matt and Kim creating something new together after all this kind of tragedy and trauma and, and everything that we all went through separately and, and together, and, but you know, separately was just such a beautiful kind of full circle moment, you know, at least for me, I don't want to speak for them, but, uh, for me, it was very, it's just, it was a beautiful thing. And then on a, you know, on a light note, it was like, you know, to hear the song come to life, um, for the first time. I mean, like the first time Matt hits a snare and the first note Kim plays on the guitar, it's just like, I thought the speakers were going to fucking explode. Like it was so fucking awesome. Um, it was just like, and we all kind of looked at each other and we just went, well, that works. I guess, should we do another one? <laughs> like it was, uh, it was a very kind of organic, natural thing that just happened. And kind of one of those magic moments that, you know, you're always hoping for but you never know what to expect and it just everything just worked and uh it's certainly one of my proudest accomplishments uh so it's it's i i I owe everything to them like i can't thank them enough having these conversations and the time to kind of dig into the weeds of inspiration and where this music that we all love comes from this this question has kind of popped up and when i started asking people this question the answers I've loved so much that I've just vowed I'm going to ask everyone this question for the rest of my life. As a songwriter, can you tell me what song of any artist, genre, style, time, whatever, that you wish that you wrote yourself? And can you break it down and tell me why from a songwriter's perspective? Oh, geez that's like an impossible question. I'd have to, I'd honestly have to think about that. Cause there's, there's many songs. Um, and I don't even, I don't even know how to pick just one. I mean, first of all, just any Beatles song, just say that, <laughs> um, just because they're so, they're, they're so brilliant. Um, I mean, seasons by, by Chris Cornell's like uh, hunger strike. I mean, seasons, like I look at that and it's just kind of a masterpiece. Like I, I'm just like, how, how the hell did he do that? That's it's so, it, it's so intricate and so complex and so musical and the lyrics are so poetic, but that's almost simple in a way where you can understand it, but it's, that there's so, there's so many layers to it. Like I, I really love music that you can listen to over and over. And every time you listen to it, you can discover something new inside the song and it kind of hits differently and you, and you hear something else. Like, you know, I've listened to the Beatles records at nauseum at this point, um, you know, since I was an infant and every time I listen to any song by them, I, I notice something new. It's like, Oh, that tambourine's pan to this side. And it's, Oh, I didn't notice that it hits twice here and once there. And I'll listen to that, how they're doing that. That's so intricate. So I love music. That's really, that has a lot of layers and is, is intricate. And so every time you hear it, you, you hear something new and that's kind of, that's what I strive to, to create. And, in, in my own music and our music is, is something that, you know, you don't, you might not understand it the first time you hear it. And the more you listen to it, the more you're going to get inside of it and it's going to, you know, feed you. <laughs> so I don't know. How, I don't really know how to answer that. Cause there's, a, there's a lot of songs that I wish I wrote, um, you know, any Bob Dylan song as well. So it's like, you know, there's, there's too many to choose from, but that's kind of my, that's kind of how I look at music. If that makes sense. No, it does. And that, and that's something that, you know, Myself, too, growing up listening to the Beatles or, or any other music that you just love so much is that idea that, you know, it's like a movie you love. It's like, wait, I didn't notice that before, but I've watched this a hundred times. It's like when it speaks to you, there's always something new and you're listening to it as a different person. So a song mm -hmm. 10 years ago isn't going to mean the same thing to you as it does now because you've crammed 10 years of experiences in between the first time you heard it and the next. Yeah, that's that's the other reason I, I never like to really explain what the songs are about. 
because, you know, even listening to our, our, our records, you know, from 10 years ago, like our first album, you know, if I had defined those songs and told the story, cause it's not that simple. That's not how songwriting works, at least for me. Like it's, it's, it, it's, it's grand and it's wide. And, and, and even if it starts with a singular idea or a singular experience or something, when you're starting to write it 10 years from now, it's or 10 years from then, it's going to, it's going to, you're going to see it and view it differently. And it's going to mean something new to you. I mean, even, even with death by rock and roll, like we finished the album and now after COVID, I listen to the songs and, and they've, they've transformed almost into something else and you know not all of them but some of them and every time you listen to it in my own music i hear something new in it and i go oh this means something different to me now than it did when i made it so i never like to define the meaning of songs you know outright because one i think it's unfair to the listener i think that you're taking away something from them because i think that music should be listened to with you know an open mind and open ears of you know relating it to yourself and if the artist tells you what the song's about directly, then that's all you're going to think about. Like, the, like a good example is I, you know, "Shine on You Crazy Diamond" by Pink Floyd. I I've listened to that so many times, and I a couple of years ago saw a documentary, and Roger Waters told a story about of what it was about and how it was about Sid Barrett, and he got very in depth about it. And now every time I hear the song, I, I think of that, and I don't I don't let my mind kind of escape into the song the same way I used to. And so that's, so I never like to do that. I never like to take that away from, from the listeners, even though it's, I kind of end up talking in circles and in interviews um, because I just don't give a defined answer. But that's the thing about music is you can't give a defined answer because it's, it's, it's constantly changing, even though the song is already recorded and done. I haven't been to a concert since the end of February last year, which is literally the longest stint since I started going to concerts as a young teenager and I've been saying that when I go to my first one, I'm going to hug the guy that spills his beer down my back. I'm going <laughs> to hug the guy that steps on my toes, the drunk girl that screams in my ear, even the shitty stuff about shows I miss. What are some of the annoyances or whatever about touring that you're just like, God, I just can't wait for that? like this, the smelly dressing rooms or like whatever it is. Yeah. What can you the not wait? And yeah. Um, I can't wait for the whole thing. You know, I, I think we were, we were pretty burned by the last run um, that we did, you know, due to a lot of reasons that we, we had to take a step back. And now I, now I'm just dying to tour. Now I miss it so much. You know, it's, it's because touring's you know, it's kind of like a drug and it's a drug that you can't get anywhere else. Um, it's a high that you can't find anywhere else. It's the best drug. And so I'm definitely missing that, but I'm, you know, I miss, I miss the sweat. Like you don't sweat, you know, the stage sweat, you don't sweat like that working out. You don't sweat like that. I mean, sweat, but it's not the same. It's different. <laughs> it's a different kind of sweat when you're performing, you know, it comes from the heat, from the lights and the, and the, you know, the crammed audience and the, the smells and the, the invigoration that the audience gives you. And the, that kind of symbiotic relationship that you form with the fans and the audience, like it, you can't get that anywhere else. Um, and I miss that. And, you know, I almost miss not entirely, but I almost miss being super tired. <laughs> <laughs> I almost miss like being, you know, almost hallucinating because I haven't slept in four days. Like, <laughs> um, So, it, yeah, I miss the whole experience. You know, it's, it's something that you can't find. You, you can't find that sitting at home playing, you know, acoustic guitars or even electric guitars or doing, you know, I've done a lot of cool collaborations during quarantine that you know, wouldn't have happened if we were out on the road, like the things that, you know, wouldn't have come to fruition. Like I did, um, you know, I did halfway there with Matt Cameron and you know, the keeper with Elaine Johannes. And we did a stripped down version of our song house on the Hill, um, that I've been wanting to do for years. And we just, I just never got around to it because I didn't have the time. And so I think that that's been really, you know, kind of rewarding in quarantine, but I'm, but as much as, as much fun as it is to play, you know, acoustic guitars and put out little videos and things, it's, I really miss, I really miss electricity at this point. Um, and electricity in like every form from, you know, amps to the electricity the the live show gives you. So, um, I'm looking forward to 2022 for sure. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, if you have a closet that you've been meaning to clean out and you didn't find time to do it during lockdown, you didn't clean it out because you're a lazy piece of shit, not because you didn't have the time. <laughs> well, because we've all I had have the time. I have a closet. I have a closet that I would mean to clean out. I still haven't done it. So <laughs> I didn't mean to call you a lazy shit. piece of shit. You've been busy. <laughs> well, I have been kind of busy, but I, I, I'll get around to it <laughs> one day. <laughs> 
Um, before I let you go, congratulations. You win this iHeart Rock Award, and you beat out little names like Ozzy, Shine Down, Five Finger Death Punch, ACDC, small, insignificant rock names that no yeah, one's ever know. heard of. No, you know, no one's no one's heard those names before. Um, no, it's pretty incredible. I mean, when I saw that we were nominated and I looked at the list, I was just like, oh, OK, let's go. We're nominated. We're not going to win. Uh, like, I just kind of wrote it off. And when I found out that we won, it was it was a very um, startling moment, I guess. <laughs> it's very shocking. I was like, wait, what is this a joke? Um, and very, very cool. Very rewarding. And, uh, you know, I'm not huge on awards because I don't I don't really know what they mean at the end of the day, but it, it, it's not. It, that's not how I define success. You know, it's, I don't define success by number ones and by awards and things like that, but it's still, when you win one, it feels pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it feels better than losing one. Yeah. Right. It's it. I mean, I've lost plenty. So to win one, it's like, <laughs> oh, this is different. Yeah. This, oh, is, wait, nice. this is this kind of a cool feeling. <laughs> and to have some good news come out of like such a weird time in the world. Like. Absolutely. I mean, the response of this album has just been so, so incredible. Like, you know, we had no idea what to expect, you know, releasing music in this strange time we're living in and to see, to see it be so successful and to see the response of, of the listeners be so positive and, and see that it was really connecting to people. is just, it's the highest compliment you can get. And, you know, and to, to have that kind of support and that loyalty from our fan base and, and not even just our fan base. Like I think a lot of new people have discovered us during this lockdown um, and to see it kind of grow without touring is, is really kind of incredible. And I'm just, I'm very grateful for that. Well, I, I just want to tell you, I mean, everyone has dealt with grief in their life. And for me, it wasn't a person, but for me, it was like a best friend to lose WAF, a, a legacy radio oh, yeah. station that I grew up listening to and then worked at for 29 years and to lose that. And then two weeks later, the lockdown start, that grieving process was really hard for me. And, I can imagine. It's, and, it means your whole, your whole life is suddenly, you know, different yeah. in the snap of your finger. You know, it's, it's, believe me, I get it. Like it's, you know, we lost our studio as well. Like our studio closed down and we've recorded all our albums there. So it's like, we lost our, my best friend and our producer and our studio and, and, you know, an idol It's all very quick, like one, like one after the other. And it was just like, what is happening to the world right now? And then lockdown. And it's like, okay, well, I've been in my own lockdown of grief for the past two years. And now I'm just extending that for like for another year or year plus, I guess. Like it's, it's a very, it's very weird. It's a very weird time we're living in. And I, I can only imagine how hard that must've been to lose WAF. Like it's what an important station. And, and to yeah, be like, like we were on the air at midnight, you know, like we were there when they pushed the button and I attribute yeah. it to like pulling the plug on a loved one. Like you just, it's, you have to do it, but it sucks. And. Oh yeah. It's, it's awful. Yeah. And you know, the reason why I bring it up is, from my own perspective, it's like, you don't want to talk about it. You got to go through it all and process it in your own way. But at the same time, like what you were saying, like talking about it does kind of help. And knowing what you guys have gone through, knowing what you poured into this album, knowing that you're coming back at the other side, it sounds incredibly condescending and please don't take it the wrong way. But knowing everything that you've dealt with, I'm really proud of you. Oh, thank for, you for being able to take all of this and turn it well, into it almost, something. Yeah. It almost killed me, but I, I, and that's why I'm saying it because you've been so honest about how low you got. And yeah, anybody, it was, bad. It was, it was not good. And anybody that has, I mean, we all know that mental illness right now, depression, all of that, just because of the lockdown, just because yeah. of the isolation. The things that you're talking about are are universal things that a lot of people can identify with. And the fact that you did the work and came out of it and can now talk about it as openly and freely, that's hard work, Taylor. You know, you're a fucking badass to have been able to do all of that shit. And sometimes it takes looking back at how far you've come to allow yourself to like, not give yourself a pat on the back, but give yourself a fucking break that you yeah. weathered the storm, you know? Yeah, certainly. And I think that that's, that's a really good message for, you know, everyone and anyone, because, you know, like you said, everyone's kind of going through it right now. And, you know, 
as things start to open up, I feel like everyone kind of the anxiety level of like just the world is starting to like, you know, it was already high and now it's kind of creeping up because people haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't spoken. I mean, I speak on zoom and stuff, but like, I haven't seen anyone, you know, but for the very, very long time. Yeah. So even just like being back in the room with the band, it's like, we have to like relearn each other in a way. Like we, you know, we still, we talk every day, but it's just being in person with someone it's 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 different like you have to you have to remember how to remember how to do it like remember how to be human again and it's it's a very uh strange thing so you know i hope that you know everyone can give themselves give yourself be nice to yourself but give yourself a break like this is this has been a very stressful time for everyone and now we can all start to get together and and purge all of it i I don't know how you guys are going to be able to hold back one second when you finally get back on the stage and and you're able to just do this all live. I think I think rock fans and rock bands are in for a whole new level of rock show of live performance. Definitely. My joke has been throughout COVID. My joke has been, you know, it's it's kind of like tantric sex like not being able to go to shows right now like you know <laughs> you want it but you can't have it <laughs> and so by the time live shows you know i know they're starting to come back but for us by the time we play again it's just gonna it's gonna explode you know it's gonna be like the best orgasm you ever had ozzy osbourne <laughs> said recently about the record he's working on that he feels like a pregnant hen and i was like only ozzy could say something that's so weird <laughs> <laughs> and have it make sense yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Well, I am so grateful for the generosity of your time. I am such a huge fan of this record and knowing what you poured into it and knowing what came out of it. It's it's such an exciting time in rock and roll. And I can't wait to see you guys play these songs live. And I just can't wait for for life to move forward in this new way. I don't want to say get back to normal because like for me, there is no normal because AAF's not coming back. So it's like we're trudging forward into this new reality and for rock fans to be able to get together again. You know, I feel like, I feel like we've been having club meetings on zoom and we finally get to go and, you know, have our secret handshake and like go into those temples that we call our concert halls and be able to experience all of this and blow off some fucking steam because we could all use it. Yeah, a thousand percent. And I think it's going to be very, I think it's going to be cathartic for, for everyone, you know, for the musicians playing and for the, and for everyone listening there. Like, I think it's just going to be an amazing, I think I'm very hopeful for the future. I think it's, I think it, we're, we're on, we're moving in the right direction and I think it's going to be, it's going to be really good. It, it feels good to be optimistic, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> it's so weird. Um, I know. Right. I mean, I, I was trying to stay optimistic throughout the whole quarantine. That's, a, that was my, that's, my tantric sex joke came from, I was like, well, you know, if you look at it like that, by the time it comes back, it's going to be bigger and better than ever. So, you know, if you, you, you just be patient and, and we've been patient and now things are starting to, to open up again. And I think it's just going to, it's just going to keep getting better and better. Well, thank you so much for your time, your honesty and congratulations on everything. And I just, I can't wait to see you in person. I will elbow bump you, elbow bump you. <laughs> I'll give you the knuckles, whatever it is, but I just can't wait nah, to well, see you. Well, I love you. We can do it. We can do a full proper hug. All right. Full proper <laughs> hug. I'm into it. I can't wait. So congratulations and thank you so much. No, of course. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. It was great to talk to you. Hang too. in there. We'll hopefully see you soon. Yeah. Oh, you're going to see me soon. It's, I mean, back on the radio, things are getting better. It's everything is all good. So just bring on the shows. I just want the shows. They're coming. They're I, coming. I know. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. There she is, Taylor Momsen from The Pretty Reckless. The album Death by Rock and Roll is available everywhere. If you check the show notes of this podcast, you'll find links so that you can find Taylor and The Pretty Reckless online. There is also a link to the corresponding playlist for this episode. Every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast has a corresponding playlist that is filled with all of the music that we talked about. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, you get all of your rock news and music headlines in under five minutes with the sit rep. And if you don't mind, leave us a comment and a five-star review so we know what you thought of the episode. Thanks once again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and Jumptown Skydiving at jumptown.com. 
You can also find all the links to find me in the show notes of the podcast as well. And if you head to mistresscarry.com, you can check out my official online store that's filled with t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, glasses, and even badass baby onesies. And you can catch me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.